0: hi everyone um, and welcome to this live cm conversations webinar i'm your host cameron ramsden i'm global headhunter for Charles morris focus on medical imaging uh, the majority of the companies that we work with tend to be scale-ups startups and for those here in europe you know once that CE mark is achieved then that fda is the the holy grail um so today's discussion is all about next steps of commercialization. Once the FDA is in place, what what the do's, what the don'ts? Um, And we've got a couple of guests here who have been there and done it. Um, So we've got some good insight from both of them.
1: Let's get started. Uh, First of all, Ben, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, my name's Ben Panter. I'm the founder and CEO of Blackford Analysis. Uh, We started back in 2010 And initially we had a a clinical application that helped compare current and prior images. Uh, We got a 510K for that and we started making sales into the US. Um, We then kind of uh, realized that the infrastructure that we had to build for that product was fairly significant to actually deploy it into radiology workflow. And we extended that out into a platform that really takes lots of different clinical applications including those using AI. And deploys them into a healthcare environment and handles all the integrations, all the contracting, all the deployment side. Um, so, yep, 2010—that was 11 years ago. We've grown the company from zero people to north of 50 now. Um, looking forward to the conversation.
0: How many of them in the
2: in the US, Ben?
1: Uh, I think 10 currently.
2: All right, Kyle, over to you. Yeah, Cameron. Thanks for having me on. It's a uh, pleasure to uh, to join everyone here uh, today. Uh, my name is Kyle Fry. I am the president of uh, North America, um, Latin America, and our Australia New Zealand market, uh, but focused obviously on the North America market. Been with the organization of Synthetic MR uh, for a little over two years now, and uh, built our organization, uh, being the first person uh, in the U.S. and have uh, grown it over the last two years. So uh, certainly looking forward to our conversation today as well.
0: Cool. So. First of all, if you're a CCO or a CEO, you're celebrating your FDA approval on a Friday night in, in London, Vienna, Prague, wherever it may be, you're coming to work on Monday, what should be top of the agenda? What do you think, Ben?
1: So I guess we're, you've, if you've gone for the 510k, you've already made the decision that you're going to be um, selling in the US. And I would say that you either need to get yourself on the ground over there, or you need to find someone that you really trust that you can work with over there. So, so for me, the, the first thing that you're gonna start to think about is how do you hire someone in the US, um, or in my experience, how do you hire, find someone in the US that can work with you to start to really build that market and to build the relationships that you'll be able to um, expand eventually into sales. So that might not be a salesperson per se immediately, but there's so much to understand about that market that's so different to European systems. And you can either go out there and live it and learn it, or you can bring in someone that really has that expertise and that experience and has done it before, um, but crucially someone that you can trust.
0: And is that what you did with with Blackford? Did you have somebody there on the ground or did you think, actually, I'm going to get across there?
1: So I'd say there's a there's a combination, right? So we from the very outset knew that the North American market was where we needed to build a product for. Um, Healthcare in, in Europe and the UK is interesting, specific, you know, but we knew that we had to get involved with channel partners and build our initial product with them. And we knew that the place to attract their attention was in the US, not in the UK. So I think, you know, when I formed the company, I knew that I was gonna have to be on a plane pretty often that evolved to being probably spending one week in four, maybe even one week in three in the U S. So I needed to be on the ground, but we also needed to build, get someone over there that could do business development for us. So initially you're very unlikely to attract a, a kind of um, red blooded pure sales resource, because if you don't have a track record of a product that sells, salespeople, like to have their base, and they like to know that the commission is achievable. If it's a brand new product, you need someone that's more on the kind of biz dev end, exploring how the product is gonna fit into that market and giving you the product feedback that you then need to maybe revise the value proposition that you've attached to that product and get it into the US centric mode. So key things like uh, reimbursement, how does it integrate into workflow? Um, How do you find the clinical endorsements for the product? What are the wider implications of its use? How does that all fit together? And I'd say that's kind of a, that's a journey of discovery. Uh, And we certainly went along that journey um, with our first US employee who's still with the company um, and really getting deeper understanding for me as the technical founder, I guess, to understand where that really fits in US healthcare, because there are so many complexities that you need to navigate and understand that it's really hard as a, an outsider to just get your arms around that um, so i think that for us it was finding someone that we could trust luckily it was someone that we could reference who'd worked with a member of my board previously for a long period of time that there was already a relationship with and that we could really build that process And I think that, you know, that's a, that's a challenge, right? It's, it's something that a good uh, recruiter can help you with. Uh, We didn't have that luxury at that point, but um, certainly would appreciate that kind of delicate referencing if you don't have someone you already know out there. Does that answer the question? I'm not sure if Yeah, no, it
0: does. It does. We've gone down the the recruitment route quite early, um, which which I like. Um, But no, really interesting. Um, And Kyle, did that sound quite familiar to the kind of challenge and the remit that you were given early on?
2: Yeah, I think I think part of it is, you know, to to Ben's point, you've kind of made that decision that you're going to go. You've gotten your 510K, you've gotten your FDA approval that you're going to enter in the market. And I think what you need to really look at is then at that point is. How do you want to enter it right Do you want to enter it from you know a establishing a burn rate you know building an organization that you create expectations from a financial side right away? Do you look at it from building a brand awareness, building uh, you know your niche building a need for your product right and you can look at it through the business development eyes you can look through it from the operational eyes and so I think that really comes down to the board. Um, and it comes down to the CEO and the and the uh, that current leadership on what they want to do when they enter the, the North America market. I would say, when you make that decision, um, you know you need to make an understanding that you're going to have a burn rate there, right? And that's going to be something that you really need to understand. And that if you you want to enter it where uh, you have the least burn rate, it, it's something where you should look at you know going and working with an organization that has a team built, that has a uh, the resources to be able to, to potentially carry your product. Uh, you can then look at your OEM partners. Are you able to establish a relationship with the OEMs on a global scale ahead of time? Most um, uh, companies don't have that luxury. Um, or do you go in and try to build your team from the ground up, right? And so the ground up is going to cost you a lot more money going with an established organization that fits in your mold, it might be the best bet and, or, you know, a combination of, of, you know, the three by adding in the OEM pieces. So uh, I definitely follow uh, Ben's logic and his, and his pieces there. And I think it's, it's um, part of a time value of money that comes into play. Once you make that uh, decision to go into the U S and, and you, when you do it, you need to you know, make sure you've thought through that process um, and made those decisions accordingly.
0: And when Synthetic brought you in, was it with a clear kind of structure and, and plan for what they wanted to do in the U.S., or was it a case of, Kyle, we want to get to X, but we've got no idea how to do it? Over to you.
2: Yeah, it was. It, it was. It was definitely interesting. I, I would say, you know, our CEO that brought me on had a lot of experience in North America, had a lot of experience in building, you know, organ organizations, um, you know, international organizations, and. Part of it was, it was, it was really, when I went through the interview process of saying, this is what I believe we can do with the market. And then here's what I feel like we need from the resources. And just like you get with a lot of series, you know, A and B funding, you have caveats, you have drop, you, know, you must reach these milestones in order to, to you know, pass go and, and, and grow your team. We created those milestones, um, but really it was to build the, the market awareness. It was to, to sell. Um, and so it was to, to break through that red tape, you know, to Ben's point is to understand the reimbursement structure, to understand the workflow landscape, to understand uh, the trigger points, your value proposition, right? Um, just because you may create a beautiful AI product doesn't mean that people want it, right? Or people are going to use it or that it has relatively um, any significance in the space. And so um, we sat down and talked about a game plan of how we would go to market, how we would execute this. And um, you know, it's it's definitely um, come to fruition, not without some some bumps in the in the road. Um, but it, it's been one of those things that we created a plan and kind of followed suit to that. And so, you know, having been being a CEO here, it's one of those things where the relationship of of me and and uh, Ulrich, our CEO of Synthetic MR, is of the utmost importance. Same thing with Ben and and his you know North America leaders, because you're you know leading an organization. Um, where you're not going to see your, your CEO very often, right. Um, um, and, and so that relationship is incredibly important. So I think that trust factor also goes a long way in what you're doing, but also, you know, having that right, you know, kind of pathway in what we do. So we sat down and really discussed that before I came on board. So there was a really a clear vision. And there was also that understanding of of, of the, you know, the burn rate, on what that would look like, on what it could, could be, and and then kind of setting realistic expectations. Cause you're right, when you go into a market where you don't necessarily have sales, you know, you need to be realistic on how you can benchmark and then succeed that. And so that kind of goes back to my pieces. If you are going to enter in the market, and I think it's really interesting. I think there's some there's some positives to aligning yourself with, you know, an organization, say like Synthetic MR, that has built that. And if you align there to maybe bring your your, you know, product into their portfolio to be able to help push that versus spending three to five to 7 million, um, in a burn rate to, to do it on your own. Um, and I think, you know, Ben has a platform that's, uh, and the ability to, to be able to do that same thing. Right. And so I think that's part of, you know, what, what their value proposition is for, for organizations as well.
1: Yeah. I think it's a really interesting topic of, of how you, how you best get that entry into the North American market from, from a cold start effectively. And I think there are there are go-to-market routes that accelerate that. And um, one would be channels and another would be marketplaces, you know, kind of thing that Blackford does. Um, but I, I kind of think that you also, in either of those scenarios, you can't expect to take a just a technology product and drop it into either a marketplace or a channel and hope that it's gonna sell. You know, there's a huge amount of value that you get from making even a handful of direct sales, of being able to work with someone who, I mean, you know, probably the first year of your engagement in the US is really just getting people to recognize the name of your company and your face and being able to go up and find someone who is a, uh, probably even before an early adopter, an innovator that really wants to have a go with your product you're very unlikely to get any revenue from them but you'll gain a huge amount of value in understanding how your product fits within their world and that allows you to refine that product value proposition build the marketing materials build a case study and then you've got a a kind of a packaged product that you can hand to a channel or to a marketplace and be able to really see um, or really contribute to how that product should be sold because i mean we're pretty good at trying to understand products and where they fit, but your average large channel has a product that they're trying to sell and various enhancements that if the customer asks for, they'll be very keen to do it. And if your product is particularly great and really accelerates a sale, you're gonna have a fantastic time with channels. If it's something that can just be redlined, it's much harder, right? It's something that will be used to get a stakeholder over the line, and then when it comes to the financial decisions, well, yeah, we can get rid of that, can't we? Yep. And I think that just having your own sales process as well, where you're going direct to learn exactly what the product market fit is to refine that and then scale that, those sales through either a channel or a marketplace is a really key learning.
0: That's obviously the kind of next stage of development. Would you say that's possible still with that one original person he brought in? Or when you get to that point, is that when you need employee two, three, four?
1: Yeah, I I, I was thinking about this earlier, actually, and I think that there's all sorts of ways to do this differently. But in my mind, you spend a year kind of trying to basically seed the market to get people to know what you do to get in front of as many people as possible. And realistically, you're not going to expect to make any sales there. You're you're building relationships. You're starting to talk to people. You're starting to market the product and understand where it fits. You then have a a kind of a a period of consolidation where you've got a reference site. You've got some innovator that wants to give your product a go and will then give you that feedback of how it performs in real life, right? How, How it deals with 17 different modalities rather than the one that you developed it on how it works with a different case mix, with a different reimbursement structure, how the the health system makes money from having your product and using it. Um, And you start to learn how to, When you do a deployment, you learn, you refine. And really what you're doing is you're developing a repeatable sales process, such that you know what the um, value proposition is for your product and you can hand it on to a channel um, or a marketplace at that point. And of course, all the way through those two years, you're also building the relationships with the people in the channels and the people in the marketplaces that will take that product on and then go out with it. So, multi-year process, I would say.
0: Kyle, does this all sound familiar, uh, or did you go about it completely different way?
2: I think I think the the process is is very similar to what Ben described. I think it's just a matter of you know, to me, I live in. You know, I live in a pipeline world. I live in a world where you know my my mind says, how can you how can you accelerate a process, right? And 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 meet those milestones and meet those steps. And so, you know, at Synthetic MR, we were able to you know put a structure in place ahead of time, right? That we were be able able to deliver on our benchmarks. That this allowed us to to grow, you know, our market. We were you know, you know, fortunate enough to have, to create channel partner relationships with the large OEMs. And we were able to expand on that to be able to put uh, the product into their bags to for them to be able to sell and to echo our value proposition. Um, and so we were able to enter the market um, at a point where we felt like we could accelerate. But to Ben's point, I certainly think that the, you know, when you, if you're going to enter in the market you know coming in new, you should come in with eyes wide open and should expect you know a year or two of not really having sales, of building the brand awareness, of building uh, the content to where people uh, become believers. You know, having your KOL starting to do that stuff, and that's certainly how you should look to do it. I, I do believe there's ways to accelerate it, um, and there's ways that you can manifest your um, commercial results sooner than maybe you would like, uh, than maybe what you would expect, and so. I think that's just all in your your approach, but I uh, I certainly echo Ben's you know comments on how you you know would enter that in if you're coming right into the to the market um, unless you know you're fortunate enough to have some other pathways to to create uh, the revenue side, but you know a, meta, a U.S. sales cycle, um, you know if you're a capital um, you know product, you're looking at a 12 to 18 months, right, just from the word go. So it, it's all about how you can you know, push aside capital dollars in one hospital and have it allocated to you. It's how you can work through the terms and conditions section much quicker than somebody else. It's how you can understand the decision makers in the US piece, right? And so if you're able to do that and you have the right, you know, resources behind you, you can you can certainly do those things. But it's very simple. You want you step in day one and you get somebody that's really likes your product, it's going to take you probably 12 to 18 months to to see revenue come from that. So it goes right to Ben's point is you can't expect in your first six months to see revenue. You really can't expect in your first 12 months to see revenue. And if you start to see that, I think you're on something and you're, you're really creating, um, you know, a niche and a pathway for, for your product to enter into the U.S. market.
0: You talked about accelerating the process in the, in the U.S. Is that through bringing on board people more quickly to help you? Is it through existing relationships that you may have already with the OEMs? or all of the above, can you give some examples of you know, how we can accelerate those activities in the US?
2: Yeah, so I think um, you can be strategic in how you position your product, right? So you can offer, you know, different means for them to acquire the technology, whether that's through a monthly uh, cost, whether that's through a subscription model, it doesn't always have to be a perpetual model. There's there's different ways to work through the, that process. Um, but I'm, I'm a big believer of people that can can sing your praises, that can go out and, and be profits of your product, or um, people that are gonna allow you to get out in front of more people at a quicker time. So um, having the relationships with, you know, the channel partners are incredibly important. So to me, that was a big focus is to really build our relationship with our channel partners because the feet on the streets with them is exponentially higher than the feet on the streets that we could bring in, right, and afford, and to be able to do that. So. Um, you know, we, we really took a approach from a let's work smarter, not necessarily harder than anybody. Let's, let's try to be creative and work smarter in what we do. So that's going direct to hospitals. That's working with our OEM partners and being, um, you know, a good benchmark for them and and being someone they can lean on to to help. Um, And it's also, you know, getting out there and, and, and marketing and brand awareness, but also growing, in what you do, right? So for us, for an example, is you know, we we built an organization around a sales and technical piece, right? So we have complementary sales proven leaders that have run organizations as well as technical leaders that have the expertise to be able to communicate effectively. Then we, you know, through our growth, understood that we needed to really bring on a, a PAX IT type of brain to help us in our workflow enhancements. And so these are all things through. You know, communicating with our accounts through growing our business that we were able to adapt and to be able to bring on the resources that we need. But that all comes from support from the executive level, from your, from the CEO, um, and from the board to financially, you know, back those pieces. Um, So hopefully, that answers your question.
0: It does. And Ben, I interrupted you there. Um, What were you going to share? Uh,
1: I I forget. I think I I just share (laughs) Kyle's. um, I guess acknowledge Kyle's statement that breaking into the US market takes time and money, right? And you can do it in a a more efficient way, potentially, Um, but you can't get away from the fact that the sales cycles in US healthcare are long, Um, and you need to understand your product and how it fits in the market that you're trying to sell into deeply in lots of different ways and you can't do that just hypothesizing sat in your office in London. You really have to be in market and understanding that. And I, I think that's the, the crucial piece. And you can go you know, the perhaps slower, longer route that we took, or the accelerated route that Synthetic MR took. But whichever way you do it, it's going to take money and time. Um, and you've got to be realistic about that from the outset. Now, once you've got product market fit, Things like channels and marketplaces can dramatically upscale revenue, but they can't do it until you've got that product market fit. And that's your job to really get concrete and really test and develop very quickly.
0: Yeah, I think the general assumption is that US companies to Europe are very impatient about how quickly you can achieve success. Um, But from your experience with some of the startups that you work with, Equally from Europe to US, is that also a little bit unrealistic about like how quickly they think they can have success?
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I think that there's just a an unreality field around all entrepreneurs, right? Well, why does it have to take so long? Really, it has to go to that stakeholder. Why do we have to get that stakeholder involved? What <laughs> you mean? IT clearance is going to take me two months. What are we going to do? Yeah, and and the the kind of the this, this, if you're not very careful, can get reflected onto your sales team and why is this not happening quicker? But really, as Kyle said, you know, what are we doing as a company to make it easier for a hospital to sign that contract with us? What are we doing to make sure that rather than going around the stakeholders sequentially and having a month to set up each meeting, we're out talking to all of them at the same time such that we can bring them to a decision quicker? And that's the... Um, exquisite skills that a U.S. business development or salesperson working in the medical imaging space that's any good brings to your company. And it's, it's a, I think at an early stage of business, it's a terrifying investment, right? Because U.S. salaries are probably two to three times what you would normally pay in, in, in Europe. But it's a realistic cost of doing business in the U.S. And I think that, you know, some investors get that and some have a hard time swallowing it um and you've just got to be aware of of the realities of this and
0: would you say i think a lot of the examples i think that we've been talking about have been focused on a software solution would you say that everything we've discussed so far is also true on the hardware side um or would you say that there's it's just apples and pears um i should say apples and oranges rather than apples and pears confusing my english idioms there um but yeah ben kyle don't know who or would like to answer, but you think it's the same lessons?
1: I can have a crack at it. I mean, you know, we're a software company, but we know a number of hardware companies. And I think for us, the the big issues are regulatory, understanding the market, and being able to deploy a product efficiently into the US. That becomes orders of magnitude harder when you're trying to deal with physical widgets. And, you know, Contacts that I have in my network that run hardware businesses in healthcare in the US, their difficulties are far greater than mine. And mine are pretty significant. So, you know, it's, it's, it's trying to, I think many of the problems are the same, but you've got the complexities of logistics to layer on top of that.
2: Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with Ben. I mean, I, I've come historically, my experience comes from, from hardware. And, you know, I've worked for European companies in hardware. Um, and, and US-based companies. And, and, and to Ben's point, you have to look at logistics of manufacturing. Um, you have to look at different class level that you're approved, right? So the FDA is different class levels, which through your, your approval comes and which becomes more rigor and what you can do, right? And, um, you know, if you, and then it just comes to a price point. If you're a capital product um, that is hardware, it's gonna be more difficult than what Ben and I encounter on a daily basis, which again is very difficult. It's just different stakeholders and different, you know, uh, decision makers where, you know, somebody may be dealing with biomed versus us dealing with IT, um, but they're dealing with uh, sourcing of the products and getting there. And it's also, um, you look at revenue generation, it's, you know, when you sell a product, no hospital is going to pay you until they receive it, right? So in our world, we can deploy within 24 hours. And In the hardware world, you look at being able to deliver a product. Now, when you get into your, your you know, burn and turn, your razor, razor blade type products, right, where you can you know, sell something for $200 and $300, that's, that's different. But in the medical world, when you're imaging world, when you're dealing with hardware, yeah, that's definitely more, more challenges because you're adding more layers of complexity. Um, and to Ben's point, the software world is, is very complex. You're dealing with a lot of different cyber securities, IT pieces, um, but the, the hardware comes with uh, many already established challenges of logistics and the supply chain, and that it becomes very, very difficult for sure.
0: We're getting to the point now where I think we've covered those early stages of commercialization and without <laughs> going into too much detail. Um, probably good to kind of try and round things off a little bit before we get to the Q&A. Um, ben, we'll come to you first, but if we're just talking about the, kind of the one biggest challenge that you would say companies will face in the U S what would you say that would be? And what would, what would be the solution from your point of view?
1: So I think, um, certainly in my experience, the biggest challenge that I had was getting my head around the U S market because coming from a, a UK perspective where you've got a, a single payer, single provider cradle to grave. Um, your experience as a patient is infinitely different to what a US person, a US citizen experiences of their healthcare. Whether you're thinking about someone that's on a low income, someone that's on a high income, you know, the the choices about healthcare in the UK are minimal, right? Do I call the doctor or not? And there's no financial implications of that decision, you you just go and do it. If you think about US healthcare, it's it's competitive, you've got immense numbers of choices to make, um, and that flows through into the US market, which is just the drivers are totally different to NHS in terms of adoption. And it took me a good number of years to really get my head around what that meant, how reimbursement actually has an impact on what you do, how you have to drill all this stuff together. And I'm sure it's the same for many founders of uh, UK or European companies operating in the med tech space. And the solution is to find someone that you can talk to in the US and talk to them a lot. Right. Getting that immersion, you either get it through someone that you hire in the US or you spend a huge amount of time in the US talking to as many p- people as you possibly can to really get your head around it. And that for me was the biggest challenge of how we adapted our product to work in the US market.
0: Brilliant, thanks Ben. Kyle, same question, biggest challenge and how did you overcome it?
2: I think the biggest, I mean, it's right there with, with what Ben is saying, I'm seeing a lot of similarities in our in our, you know, thought processes and, and approach here. But uh, I think to me, the biggest piece is what you expect you know, double that, right? So if you, if you expect to enter the market and to, to grow X within 18 months, change that to 36 months and change your approach, right? Um, because, um, you know, there is so many unknowns that happen. There are so many changes, right? Um, you know, especially when you enter the market, uh, your competition when you entered is gonna be different six months down the road, right? And so um, is to, to come in with realistic expectations, um, but then to my biggest piece would be is also to make sure that if you are a software company or, or any sort of company that your R&D is robust that when you make that decision to enter that you have a pipeline of R&D that can keep up with what your expect- expectations will be because the industry is always shifting and changing and when you get into software. You know, what AI is today is going to be very different than what it is in in 12 months. What software is today is going to be very different than what it is in 12 months. Workflow is going to be very different. Reimbursement is going to change. The landscape changes, um, you know, every six months. And that's just the nature of the U.S. health market. And that's the way it's been. And that's the way it'll continue to be. So just be very realistic in what your expectations are. Um, And I I think that'll allow you to, uh, to get results and to be able to stick to the plan that you have entering the market.
0: And I think what you said there, Kyle, about the market moving so quickly, this really adds to Ben's point about you need to keep that dialogue up. It sounds like not just at the the early phases to get the product off the ground, but it sounds like that communication, two-way communication, seems essential all the way through to keep pace with that change rather than just thinking, well, I've done that now. <laughs> Let's just watch the sales grow. You need to keep that communication, it seems, constant. Good. A lot of, a lot of nods that I can see from Kyle and Ben, and hopefully those other people who are, who are watching and listening. We'll move on to the Q&A now from Shahid. Um, there's probably a lot of context there um, and things that are quite difficult to answer. But I think the question around the value proposition for the customers, I think, Ben, before the call, we probably discussed that a little bit. We talked about the differences between the, the European market and the US. Can you go into a bit of detail about what works in terms of a, a software solution in the US in terms of value proposition.
1: Sure, I mean for me, you know, my my kind of area is AI applications that that work somewhere in the radiology workflow, and there are there are three kind of obvious places where you can do things. So that the first is looking at the efficiency of the radiology department. Can you improve throughput through the modality? Um, and the modality is important because typically it's owned by the hospital. Um, And the efficiencies there will drive more patients through more revenue into that particular bucket. The second area is can you build efficiency for the radiologist? So we're not increasing the um, input to the department. We're just increasing the efficiency of how that's handled once it's there. So we're not adding capacity because the capacity is typically limited by the modalities. Then you go downstream to value for the referrer. And if you look at, both, at these three areas, so so what are we doing that helps the referring clinician, the neurologist, the oncologist treat the patient and drive a better outcome or reduced cost at that point? And for me, the, the places that there's real opportunity are simple financial, can you get better modality optimization? So the, the first piece, making radiology more efficient. And then downstream, can you add more value for the referrer? Um, and there you're looking at potentially much greater revenue opportunities, much be- greater benefit. The challenge is how you link all that stuff. Okay.
0: Yeah, quite quite broad, I thought, but still after what we spoke about before, I thought it was quite interesting to share that insight as well. This one might be a good one um, for, for, for either of you. In terms of the, the pricing strategy, would you recommend that companies, for the first few customers before reimbursement is set, would you... Put the pay. Where, where would you set it? Really, you don't want to go too low, <laughs> so to as to damage the the value precedent. Um, but what would your kind of uh, general ideas and tips be there?
2: Yeah, I can jump on on this one. I think when you're just establishing, you know, setting a, a market price doesn't really matter at that particular point in time, right? You you have to think about what your objectives are. Your objectives are to break into the market and to be able to grow adoption. So pricing doesn't really you know matter because you're going to expand your offering. As you go through into your into the to the market, and so people know if they're an early adopter, right? If they're taking a chance, they're going to have certain expectations on pricing. I wouldn't be as concerned about pricing as I would be concerned about uh, growing uh, your market and having people utilizing the technology, giving you feedback what they liked, what they didn't like, why this makes sense, and building uh, a marketing campaign around those individuals. You know, creating. Um, go to market pieces, uh, creating white papers, uh, creating um, you know brand awareness around those individuals. So you know setting a pricing to me is is not something you know right away you need to do unless you understand the market and you understand what the market can bear. then of course, you know create a price and then if someone's willing to to be an early adopter, then they can uh, have some of those shared discounts or, shared um, getting the technology at not a, as what that list price would be. But I would really focus on uh, building your install, you know, the beginning install base and, and uh, pushing that pricing side in parallel as you're building that to, to, tend to look at establishing what that looks like.
1: Yeah, I think from my perspective, if you look at the, the cost of onboarding any IT application in, in healthcare, is is far in excess of what you would think of charging for it in the first six months, nine months, right? So from a a provider's point of view, you're looking at, um, you know, I've got to go through all the IT security approvals. I've got to spin up a, a, a virtual machine for it. I've got to get the PAX admin to build the AE titles and all this kind of thing to integrate it into my reporting. All of these things have a cost, right? Um, and I mean, it's it's the main selling point for a marketplace that you can reduce all of that complexity down and just plug into it. But the the kind of the, the thing that you need urgently is feedback from the market on your product. And that will allow you to discover the price. So by all means set some realistic number that um, makes sense with your current understanding of the market, but bear in mind that you may be massively under or overshooting because you don't really have any information sat in your office in London, you need to be out there in the market and testing it. And those early adopter um, customers, partners, are uh, really important for allowing you to discover what the pricing is going to be, rather than sat there with an Excel spreadsheet in Croydon.
2: Yeah, you're you're going to in the US, you know, uh, it's it's very much a value proposition healthcare setup, and so if you go in and overprice and set an unrealistic price point you really ostracize yourself from the market if you underprice it you're going to hear people say wow this is cheap i can't believe you're pricing at this people are very open right we're not we're not closed you know uh, in the healthcare sector people talk and they're willing to express themselves and to tell you that they think wow this is fairly priced or this is you know this is underpriced and you guys should look at that great um, but you certainly don't want to shoot for the stars and overprice something without establishing what that benchmark should be, and then you can build from there. So um, right on point with what ben is, ben is saying, I mean, I think we're saying the same things here is really, you know, establish your brand, establish your product, and then your pricing will follow suit.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good way to end it, really, because I think what's kind of come through in almost all the answers to a lot of the questions is that it it comes from that constant feedback to the, to the market, whether that's to establish a product fit, whether that's pricing. Even if that's about choosing the first employee, do those, take those references, find your trusted contacts. Um, And I think certainly from my experience, we're quite lucky in that in general, folks in the US tend to be very open, tend to be very just interested in in imaging and healthcare. And so they're always so passionate and ready to speak about it, that use (laughs) use the contacts that you have there, get that feedback. And it seems like that's hopefully a nice way to round things off. Ben, Kyle, anything else to add?
2: No, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to to be able to connect with you. And I mean, I think we should give a little uh, uh, plug in here on that. You know, when you are entering the market, you know, working with a, a recruiting firm that understands and has, you know, relationships in the U.S., understands the market, right? I saw some questions around, you know, you're going to pay more for U.S. talent Well, that's what you have a recruiter for, right? They're going to educate you on what the market bears, what you need to do. You want to, you know, Ben wants to hire X, Y, and Z when he first started, he's going to come to a recruiter and they're going to tell him you need to pay X, Y, and Z. It may be a little bit of a price shock, but then you understand when you interview that if you want certain talent, this is the benchmark. And as you expand uh, what you look for, then, you know, you're going to have some parameters that you need to meet from that side. And, but I, I do believe. Uh, you know, having a good recruiting firm that you can have good dialogue with and that can help carry the process for you and bring you the talent really goes a long way as well. So, I mean, I think we wouldn't be here without, you know, having a relationship with you, Cameron, and understanding that piece. And so I think it's important as well that, you know, having a good um, counterbalance and having a good teammate in your recruiting firm is certainly certainly, um, very important as we look to come from, um, you know, Europe into the U.S. I didn't work with Cameron's team when I was hired, but there was you know an international recruiting firm that that worked to bring me on board, and so that was incredibly important for Synthetic MR as they looked to to branch into the U.S. I'm sure you know Ben probably had something you know similar as well.
1: Absolutely, Yep. Yeah, I think the value of of being able to reach out through somebody else's network as well as your own, especially as a, a an entrepreneur starting in medical imaging, is absolutely critical and. You can achieve some of that through um, having a non-exec advisory board that that contributes some of that network, but the utility and the value of someone that has that network out there, Cameron, example, that, <laughs> uh, you know, it is absolutely, you can't underestimate it. Well, thank you both. And thank you for
0: everyone who joined. The next episode of this will be presented by Emil and will be kind of flipping things around. So it will be about US companies expanding into Europe uh, and Emil will be hosting that one. Any questions, obviously the guys give a nice plug to the recruitment work that we do. If there's any kind of questions or interest there, please get in touch equally. uh, Kyle and Ben, I know are very active and open on LinkedIn. So if you want to kind of follow up with them, LinkedIn is probably the best place to do it. Um, Thank you all for listening and uh, until next time.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Cheers.